0: Thing. Some say it's an outdated concept, but understood correctly, it can be critical to our collective spiritual well being. Lead teacher Randy Pope starts the series The Church with the first part of this message entitled A Necessary Authority, which covers Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 to 19. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray and let's get into
1: our, our series. Father, we thank you as we open up your word another day here. We pray that your truth would feed our souls, not just our minds, but our souls. And what we find to be the truth We pray, Father, we may embrace to your honor and to your glory. and We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in a new series, and the series is on the church. On the church. As we delve into this uh, subject matter, I'm going to suggest, as relates to the church, that we all have at least these three needs. Number one, we have a need for a healthy church It doesn't need to be a big church. It doesn't need to be a, you know, it just needs to be healthy. That's the word I always use, healthy church. Number two, we need to have a high view of the church. In other words, we have to understand the church as Jesus introduced it to us, and we need to embrace that view, which is a high view of the church. And then thirdly, we need to have a biblical worldview that embraces the role of the church the way it's described in the Bible. Now in saying that, I'm going to suggest to you that uh, this would be a good definition for worldview. It may be a new term for some of you. The definition is this, a framework of ideas and beliefs from which we interpret who we are, who God is, and how we see the world in which we live. Now, what I want to do is I want to focus a few minutes on this, the world in which we live. How do we see that world? If you want a biblical worldview, then you've got to be able to see the world as comprised of two kingdoms. Oddly enough, one name for one of those worlds is the kingdom of the world. That represents not just the non-believers that comprise the world, but also the mindset of the world absent of the things of God. So the other kingdom that you see Jesus referring to very often, the other kingdom is the kingdom of God. You will not read much in the New Testament before you're going to see kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. Now, from that point, I, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do for the next five minutes, uh, I'm going to give you an introduction consider it to be boring, okay? I want your expectations to be very low. (laughs) All right? Then, when we bridge out of that into our text, I want you to anticipate to have some ah ahas from God's Word. But this is an important foundation to lay. So hear this one out. Because Christians have to live in both kingdoms, at least until our death, As Christians, we are in this world. And as such, we are given names that help understand the role we play in the kingdom of the world. It's defined as strangers, pilgrims, aliens, ambassadors, citizens of heaven. Those are different names to try to enforce in our thinking as Christians that this is not my home. My home is a future home. And I'm going to have the opportunity one day to live there forever, absent the kingdom of the world. But until that time, I have to be in both worlds. And to do that, I need something that's going to take care. It's going to resource me. It's going to be able to equip me and prepare me. It's going to protect me. All these things, while I'm in this opposing world, I need this thing that is going to allow me to be used of God while I'm in this kingdom to literally approach the gates of Hades and for the gates of Hades not to be able to prevail. It's a need to be able to, in this particular resource, to be able to help a broken and needy world and be able to bring all kinds of aid to it. And so, how do, we, how do we find that? It's called the church. That's what the church is meant to be. That's what the church actually is. So, in light of that, I think that it is unfortunate that we find the state of the church far less than what we would dream. You find that the church today has basically become, for most, a commissary. It's not a training ground, it's a commissary. It's a commissary, for the most part, for defecting ambassadors, who say, you know, I want my primary allegiance to be a part of the world. I really want the world. I love the world. I enjoy the world. It's kind of my dominant world. But I want at the same time to remain religious. And so the church is an aid to many to that end. I don't think that describes this place. I really don't. But it is the majority report, I'm sorry to say. It's become for many, as you would know, many people, church is a social club. Maybe it's a political forum. Maybe, on the other hand, it's a religious nursery. You compound that with the problem of individualism, which is very, very modern. At least compared to all of history, it is very modern. Individualism is defined as being independent or self-reliant. So, in light of that, two statements that are going to prepare us for where we're going over these next weeks. Number one. The counterforce to such unhealthy individualism is accountable relationships. Accountable relationships. Number two, there is no true accountable relationship without a recognized authority. So I don't expect you to remember those statements, but I'm a hope that you'll remember through the series these two words, relationships, and authority. Christian, that is your and my ticket to healthy Christian living. Very, very vital. Accountable, relationships, think about relationships, and then authority. We're going to spend most of our time through these first weeks talking about the authority and the relationships that come out of that authority. In light of that, I'm going to suggest to you that The family and the church have been that for our nation, the world, for many, many years. Now, as it is, the church has absolutely been taken off the screen. It is no longer an authority to anybody. It is a place for relationships for many, but it's not a place of authority. The family has been diminished, but there still is some hope there what we have to do is think, okay, how do we, as a local congregation, how do we stay healthy? How is it that we become the church that honors the Lord the way He wants it to be? And I will assure you, it will never, ever, ever happen without authority. This is not a subject we enjoy. Very, very, very few people today say, give me some good old authority. Man, who could be an authority over me? Who could tell me what I should and shouldn't do? Let me tell you, that's just not something people want. I remember when in the 1970s, we'd started this church, I was made a part of a group of pastors all around the country that were brought together and resourced incredibly, with some of the best resources this, I mean, this nation could ever offer. And, And it was all about how do you lead church? How do you make the church one that you can grow and so forth and so on? I remember going, and I gained much good stuff from that, but I remember going to one meeting out in California. We're all together, and we bring in this expert Christian leader, and he comes in and he says, Let me tell you, this is going to go across the grain for what you're thinking, but I want to tell you, you get prepared. If you want to be a church that's going to really grow, if you want to be that, let me tell you, get rid of your membership. People do not want to have any authority over them now. And if they find out that you are an authority as a church, then let me tell you, they're not going to come very fast. It's going to be hard to get them. I remember hearing that and something just boiling inside of me till finally you know, I just had to scream out, no, no, that's not it. You're missing the great aid to the church, to the people of the church. Don't throw that very precious commodity away. Don't do it. Now, so we're going to look at these first three messages, the meaning and importance of authority and the relationships that we experience as benefits. So let's look at our, uh, our outline, if you will. Outline reads, number one, the establishment of the church's authority. The authority of the church is established in the book of Matthew 16, uh, 13, 16, 13 through 19. I want you to listen to this as I read it, okay? Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am. Simon Peter answered, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now I want you to notice, he's there with all the disciples. One person speaks out as Jesus is talking to everyone. So this is the, this is the context. Then it says, Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my Father who is in heaven. So you notice that he's having a conversation now within the broader conversation of the the apostles with Peter. I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Here's the verse we will focus on the most. I will give you the keys Of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall have been loose in heaven. Now keep that up just a minute. I want to ask you a question. I've asked this of hundreds of pastors at pastors' conferences and various seminars that I've taught. People that are very highly ingrained in the life of the church. Now I have taught this to all of our new members that come into the life of the church. But even in spite of that, I'm going to let you off. You're the, I did it last night in our Saturday night service. I did it this morning at nine. I asked for a raise of hands. I'm not going to embarrass another group, all right? I've had two of the three. That's it for me, okay? But I want to assure you, people did not know the answers. I asked by raise of hand, and it was a, it was a minority of people that would know the answers. I said, how many of you would think that you understand what the keys of the kingdom of heaven represent. Not many people raise their hand. I don't know whether you know it. Don't raise your hand. Number two question. When it says, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loose in heaven. And again, very, not a large number of people had the answer that they even thought they did, and I'll assure you half of them were wrong, so I don't know that for sure. But anyway, then I said this, how many of you think you know who you is? I give to you the keys to the kingdom. I hope you're getting an answer in your own mind, and then I'm going to give you the answer to these three questions. Let's look at the first. Number one, what are the keys to the kingdom? All right, let's think about it very logically. What does a key do? A key is used to open a door, let's say, and to close the door, to lock it. It can be used to let people in because you open the door. It can be used to keep people from entering by keeping that door locked. Or it could be to open a door and say, you're in here, but you need to leave at this point. You need to exit through this door. So those are the different things that the keys do. They represent authority. Authority for what? Well, for this in part, this is just be one illustration. It's to say, you know, we have looked at your own experience with Christ and we believe it's legitimate. We really do believe it's legitimate. You give evidence of being a follower of Jesus, you need to be in covenant relationship with your church, another name for membership. So you enter into the life of the church as a covenant keeping member. Or, no, you shouldn't enter. It's like one person that answered the question to come into the membership of this church, everybody has to say, This is my Christian experience. And said, It was asked, Well, you know, tell me about your understanding of becoming a Christian. And he said, Well, I'm a Christian. I know I'm a Christian because I've, uh, and this was the answer. I have led the Boy Scouts for 12 years. Now, here was a man that was just confused. And so they had to say, oh, let's keep this locked right now, and let's get you prepared where you can enter appropriately. And we've had so many people who have been kind of stopped, and then they find Jesus, and then they come into the church, and it's a whole different experience. They're not going to walk through life just thinking, I'm good with God because I was a Boy Scout leader. So that's just part of what you do. You open, you close, you lock, and so forth. Also, there are people who get into the life of the church and give great evidence of being a follower of Jesus, not saying they're not. But then they come into some form of a very scandalous sin, not just the little things that, that we do, you know, that are very common, but I'm talking about things that Paul lists as unique exceptions to someone who calls themselves a Christian. And there's no repentance. They say, I don't care what you say. I don't care how much you love on me. I don't care how much you care for me. I'm not going to quit my sin. I'm staying doing everything I've been doing. With that person, not quickly or immediately, but finally we have to say, we're going to have to unlock the door. That's just one illustration of it. So keys represent authority. Let's look at number, number two. What does it mean to bind and to loose? I'll give you two words that help explain it. Bind means to make obligatory. Loose is to make permissible. Obligatory, permissible. Now, with that, the third question becomes really debated. Here it is. Who are the recipients of the keys? Meaning, who is the you that we talk about? I give to you the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to suggest three options. Number one, the option of saying the Pope. That can be confusing in this church, but I think you know (laughs) what I'm talking about, right? So we're talking about the other Pope. Okay. So, no, it's not the Pope. Individual Christians. Individual Christians being, okay, I guess I get the keys because I became a Christian. He gives me the keys to the kingdom. Think how ridiculous that is. I give you authority over your life, and when you do something that you shouldn't be doing, then you ought, to be dis- you ought to dismiss yourself from the church, and you have authority to do that. And oh, by the way, you need to determine whether you're really a Christian, and if you think being a Boy Scout leader is what makes you a Christian, then you should be able to let, let yourself into the church, and so forth. No, not at all. Through the history of the church, that's not been an answer to this question it's been either one or number three ordained elders. Now, to help you understand, when you think about the idea of the Pope, you know the term apostolic succession, meaning that from the apostles, there was an anointed one, many would say. I don't think it's true at all, but anointed one person, and that person became known as the Pope. And then he, in turn, now that he has right and privilege to declare truth added to the Bible, if need be, then what you can do is now give that over to someone else and then they have this uh, ability to determine what truth is and so forth. No, not at all. By the way, just the plural that's used in the text says that is not the answer, that it would be one person at a particular time in history that has the reign and rule over the church, not at all. Now, the issue that you have to look at is the use of the plural. Now, keep in mind, I told you the the setting here. It's all of the apostles. Peter just happens to speak out, and he says, Peter, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. Well, the word Peter, there's two words for this idea uh, of, it's Petra and Petros. One is used for the name of Peter and it actually is a small stone. So Peter is talking to Jesus and Jesus is doing what he so often did and that was a play on words. And he says, Peter, little stone, upon this rock, boulder, the other word in the Greek, on this boulder... I build my church. Do you know that when Jesus is called the rock, that's the word used of him? All he's saying is this, Peter, upon this rock, I build my church. I give to you the keys of the kingdom. Now, this is interesting. In our Matthew text, that word you is in the singular, which if that's the only text we had, it would say, well, maybe there is one pope. No, no. What it does is it says two chapters later, which we'll get to that text next week, the you is in the plural, and he's talking to the same group and Peter. Very interesting. When you go to John 20, which is the duplicate, John writing up this same account, he uses the plural. So you begin to understand, here's what he was saying. Peter, I'm talking to you, and he uses the singular. But as he's doing it, he's saying this to all the apostles. John comes along and he interprets this, or he writes it. Well, he says, well, of course he was talking to Peter, but he was really talking to everybody. It's in the plural. So it gives us every reason to believe he's talking about the apostles. So what he does is he says, now I'm going to lay this authority upon you. And now what happens in the New Testament? The book of Acts comes along. And now these apostles are going from city to city, and they're establishing the church. And you know what they do at each church? They lay hands on elders, always plural, elders. He lays hands on them. Do you know what laying of hands convey? Conveys giving authority. We have a service here every year among our, all of our officers where we ordain new elders. And deacons, but elders are who we're talking about here. And then at the end of the little ceremony that we do, we have all of the other elders, at least, we can't have them all up there, but we have some of them come up and they lay hands on each person. It's the conveying of authority. You know, if if any time is emotional to me, it's then. And I think, oh my goodness, This began with the apostles and then it's been given to these early church fathers and handed down and handed down and handed down and here it is today. This thing has been given throughout the history of the church. I'll suggest those are the answers to those questions. Now, I'd like to end with four implications and I'm going to read these very quickly. I'm going to pause on number three only, but here it is. Number one. Every believer should be declared a member of God's earthly kingdom by ordained leadership within the church. I'm going to expand on that next week. Every believer should be under the spiritual authority of ordained leadership within the church. And number three, every believer should be in submission to and accountable to ordained leadership within the church. Now this is where it becomes a little challenging for our understanding. I'll give you two questions. These are the same things that I share in membership class, but I'm going to give you two questions that help us understand this. Question number one, I'll put it up. Is there anywhere other than the Bible that we can know for certain the will of God? I would imagine the vast majority of us, if not already taught this at this place, would be saying, no. It's only the Word of God that you can be certain of this we call the will of God. And that really is not biblically accurate. I'll put up this little screen here. The Bible, okay? We know it is. It is the will of God, right? Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture inspired by God and so forth. The family. You know what it says in Ephesians one. It says, children, obey your parents. This is the will of God. All of this assumes that you're not going against the written word of God. Number three, there's another authority, God-given. It's the government. Don't we sometimes wish he hadn't given that one? (laughs) No, we should be glad, even if it's not a good one. Romans 13, 1, obey the civil authorities. Obey the civil authorities. That's the will of God. And then lastly, the church, Hebrews 13, 17. And I'm going to come back to that verse in just a minute. In fact, I may have already skipped that. Let's, Let's go back to that verse. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. But look what it says. Leaders, you should submit to them, They keep watch over your souls. Who is the job in the church to watch over the souls? It's the elders of the church. So, those would be four authorities. Now, a second question under this third one is this. If in the will of God, assuming you're in the will of God, is it something therefore, is someone therefore for certain in the wisdom of God? Which is saying this, okay, if you're in the will of God, does that mean you're in the wisdom of God? And most people that I ever ask this question to say, Well, of course, if you're in the will of God, that would be wisdom. God is wise. Of course, if you're in the will of God, there's wisdom. I'm going to suggest that's not the case. And this is where the aha comes that is going to be somewhat challenging to our hearts as individualistic people. I'll put those four back again. How about the Bible? Oh, yeah, if you're in the will of God in the scriptures, You're in the wisdom of God. There's nothing in God's word that's not wise. They would go together, but that's infallible. The next three are not fallible. So you put the next one, the family? No. How about government? No. What about church? No. Here's what I'm saying. You can be in the will of God while at the same time being outside the wisdom of God. Here I'll illustrate. Let's take the the family. Okay, so your 16-year-old daughter gets her driver's license and announces to you as the parents that night, guess what I'm going to do tonight? I know there's a terrible, terrible thunderstorm. I know that. But I really think I need to go all over North Atlanta driving to show all my friends my driver's license. And it's going to take me until probably 2 in the morning. So, Mom, Dad, I'll I'll see you tomorrow. And you say, no, you're not going to do that. Let's assume there are no curfew laws. So it says, no, you're not going to do it. You know, Dad, Mom, I had a feeling y'all might say that. And so you know what? I've been praying about this for a long time, and I'm now convinced it is the will of God. Now, if you show me in the Bible where it says children should not be driving in North Atlanta you know out till two in the morning in thunderstorms if you show me that in the bible i will want to do whatever god says but sorry on this one i need to follow god now you're a parent what do you say you say what i'd say no the will of god is for you to stay home tonight well how can you say that ephesians 6 1 children obey your parents this is the will of god there it is now can parents make unwise decisions and the child not be out of the will of God okay so maybe the parent says okay be home by midnight though I must say in my judgment that is not very wise but if there's no curfew laws the government doesn't say it's wrong parents don't say it's wrong the Bible doesn't say it's wrong then okay you're not out of the will of God but I'll tell you you are way out of the wisdom of God in my opinion all right or you take the next one. How about the government? The government, we don't even need to talk about this one. I mean, they, they do things that we go, oh, my goodness, how can you do that? It doesn't violate the Bible anywhere, but you say, what a crazy thing. So we go, no, 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 no. You can be in the will of God. You're not violating Scripture anywhere, but the government has imposed this and that, and it is the will of God to obey. Take the church. Party A. Says party B stole 15,000 from them. Party B says no, A, party A stole 15,000 from me. So they both have the same story. One stole from the other, and that said, I didn't steal a thing. So the Bible says, hey, Christians, he said to the Corinthians, don't, church at Corinth, don't go to the civil government. You have your own court here in the church. You have authority in the church. Why won't you just go to the authority of the church? So the authority of the church and the group of people, gather around and listen to the case and hear the thing and they're not perfect people and they go gosh this is a hard one but I really think A stole from B. The truth is B stole from A and they judge wrongly they make an unwise decision now one party has to pay $30,000 the 15 that was stolen and now another 15 because of the court. You going to obey that? Let me tell you, virtually all Christians say, not in this life will I obey a church that says that. I find it ironic that when the jury of the government says, you owe, and maybe you really don't owe, they say, okay, I, I do have to pay. They have the power of the sword. But the Christian has the power of God. And so we should be doing the same thing. But we do make mistakes. We're fallible. In all of those realms, we are fallible. Now, that's raising a question I know that I cannot answer right now, but hang in the series because there's going to be some of this, but I don't see that's fair. And how can you? But just giving you the basic framework. Look at number four, the final one. Every believer must be a member in good standing with the church to have access to the Lord's table to marry another member of a church. You see, you've been here for years, some of you, and you've heard me say over and over every time the table is offered, say, this is offered only to you who are members of a church, not necessarily this one, a church in good standing. That's who this is offered to because there are benefits that come only to those who are in the covenant relationship. Paul says, okay, a Christian should only marry another Christian. Well, who's determining whether that's a Christian? That should be not just I'm going to determine I'm a Christian, but that's the leadership and authority of the church that opens and lets you in. And so I have a vow that I took in the ministry that I won't marry a Christian with a non-Christian. And, and I have to keep that. So I had one family that uh, their daughter in the church was being married, uh, getting married, came to me, and knew she fine Christian, member of our church and so forth and was marrying this fellow that I sat with him I said what a great guy, seems to be really loves the Lord and so forth and I said I guess got to find out, can I do this I said are you a member, assuming he was I said are you a member of a church in good standing he says no I said you're not no I just visit different churches, I don't really connect to one place and I just you know wherever something's good's going I go there and this that and the other I thought oh no, he ain't going to understand this one I said I hate to tell you but unless you become a member of another church in good standing I'm not allowed to marry you well all of a sudden he got like what his words dumbest thing I've ever heard I looked at him and I said well you think that's pretty dumb let me ask you this would you like to after you're married would you like to have children well sure Would you like to have a little girl? Would you be happy with a girl? Well, of course I would. So, what if that girl grows up and she's 28, 29, 30, been dating a guy that you love, who loves your daughter well, and never marriage, never talk about marriage. And so, finally, you as a parent say, honey, I don't wanna, you know, I know this is your business, but do you ever see y'all getting married? What if she said, no, we're not gonna get married. However, we are gonna start living together pretty soon, and we are gonna have children. Not married, we're just gonna have children. I said, would that bother you? And he said, well, of course that would bother me. I said, well, why? Well, there wouldn't be any promise. There wouldn't be any oath. There wouldn't be, and I said, you got it. Do you know that people are doing that in relationships right now? They're just dating and dating and dating and they believe they should have all the benefits. And then there, there are people in the church, who are dating the church, dating the church, dating the church, but says, Give me all the benefits. It's not to be that way. Closing next week, we're gonna go into the benefits of membership and understand that a little bit more. I want you to, I wanna close with you understanding this Christianity is a covenant marriage with Jesus, membership is a covenant marriage with the body of Christ, the church. Marriage to either without submission is a distortion of marriage. And to submit to Jesus is by necessity a submission to the Word of God and to the church of God. I want you just to take that and think about it. Just think about it. Don't make any big pushback. I'm just hold on and listen because you're going to hear a theology of ecclesiology which is the church and most people are foreign of such today this will change hopefully many of us who have been thinking dating the church is all I need to do let's pray together Father in heaven we pray that we might be thinking of The gospel as we hear this that it's your love for us that causes us to want to submit to you and I pray Father that there would be now an understanding that we do want to submit to your word because because we love you and this is what you want and we want to submit to church because we love you because you've loved us so much may that be our motivation to embrace truth May we trust you with this. I pray for the next weeks so that this would be a great time to understand and to follow you closer. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.